This week, as I already shared, a team of us, a team of 19 are going to Honduras, and I definitely don't want to jinx us, but I want to talk about flying for just a second, okay? So let's pretend like we're not leaving this week, but next week, and uh, so as we talk about flying. How many of you have flown before? How many of you are petrified of flying? Anybody? Some? Yeah. How many, um, how many love it when you get on the plane? And, and you know, I always find it interesting. I love watching people, and I find it interesting when you go to the airport, and you kind of you know, when you're first getting on your first flight and you kind of have this senseless chatter going on, you know, because you can tell people are just kind of thinking about things. And so once you get onto the, to the plane, it's kind of subdued. And then once you get to take off and it doesn't explode and you kind of get to your um, flying altitude, everybody's kind of relaxed, seatbelts come off, you know, everybody goes to the bathroom, all that stuff, right? You know, so, and then you have that one child that's in front of you and they're like, what was that noise? Are we crashing? You know, have you ever have that moment? None of you? Cool. Hopefully it stays that way. But uh, anyhow, um, let's say the worst case, again, we don't want to talk about this today, but it's a perfect example, illustration. Let's say the worst thing that happens and, and a plane goes down and as they are sifting through the rubble to find out what happens, what are they looking for? The black box, right? I don't know how big that box is, but they're looking for a black box, and as one person said, if they would make the whole plane the black box, you wouldn't have to worry about it, right? Because this always survives, it seems like. And so, when they look for that black box, what are they looking for? Yeah, they're looking to find out what happened. There's data in there, there's information that as they go in, they kind of find out uh, what took place in hopes that, that they can correct the problem, if it was a problem that can be avoided in the future. They look at it and they say, you know what, we need to either fix this or address this situation so, the, so that it doesn't happen again. And so this black box becomes a pretty, pretty significant piece of information uh, for them as they you know, prepare for the future and things like that. I think it's interesting because as we look at the Word of God, essentially this is what we have. We have a black box. Uh, especially throughout the Word of God, you see men and women in there that kind of leave a black box behind. Some of them you want to say, I'd really like to get hold of that black box, and, and as I look at their life, I really want to emulate them. They set a good example. Some, as you look at their black box, you say, I want to do the opposite of what they did. And today we're going to take a look at a, a guy by the name of Solomon. And Solomon is, is, is an individual who, as we look at his black box, there's some things that we resonate with and things, actually we resonate with a lot of his stuff, but there's some things that we want to emulate and some things that we want to be very careful not to emulate again. Solomon went outside, he kind of went off the reservation of what God wanted to, got what God desired. And so this week, as we talk about Solomon, we know that he was a, a son of David. And he carried on the kingship of David, his kingdom. And so with Solomon's life, we see uh, that he pursued a lot of things, um, especially around the first part of his life, or maybe the middle part, we, we could say, that he pursued things like happiness, he, he pursued pleasure, he pursued possessions. He pursued women. That was one of his big things that he pursued. But as we look at the life of Solomon, we can take a look and say, you know what? If we look at his black box, we can say, there are some things that I would like to do differently than Solomon. So if you would turn with me, I always encourage you to bring your Bibles. Please grab your Bible or grab the one out of the front of the pew in front, or the back of the pew in front of you. And turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 11. <coughs> and we're going to take a look at uh, Solomon's life. But... You know, we just, I've been uh, spending a couple weeks here now teaching e-groups, and if you haven't been part of our e-groups, it's a great way of finding out who we are and what we're about and partnering with us as, uh, you know, as a church. And so, 
in our e-groups, one of the first things we talk about is that foundational piece. That piece that says you have to have a relationship with Christ. And that's what we're going to build on. And so in the e-groups, we talk about, right, right from the beginning, we talk about when Christ is missing from our lives, we tend to search for things to fill that void. We tend to search for things to fill that, that, that void there that gives us purpose, that gives us meaning. And a lot of times what we fill it with are, just, are the things that Solomon did. We'll look to possessions, and when we look at Solomon's life, the guy lacked nothing. I mean, the guy had everything. He, I mean, when you read about all that he had, it's amazing. It's staggering the riches that he had accumulated. We see in his life and in our life, sometimes if we don't have Christ uh, in our lives, we look for pleasure to fill that void or to find purpose and meaning in life. We find pleasure or we look for pleasure. Solomon was another individual. Maybe it's power. Whatever it is, there are things that we try to, we're constantly searching. We're constantly trying to grab a hold of something to fill that void, that place that only Christ can fill. And so as we look at this, we see that's exactly what Solomon did within his life. And hopefully as we look at his black box, we can say, let's avoid that and let's go in a different direction. When we look at Solomon's life, probably the one thing that he's best known for are his multiple wives. You know how many wives he had? 700 wives and 300 concubines. Is there a guy in the audience that can make one wife happy? And that's nothing against women. That's against us men because we're not put together correctly, are we? See how I pulled that right back? I, that was quick, man. That was like a cut in and out, you know? <clears throat> okay, let's be real, all right? Those of us that are married, those of us that have been... Let's, 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 let's be real. Guys, we can't please our wives, can we? It's, I mean, there's times it's like our wife, you know, and, it's, and again, it's not about our wives, but there's sometimes it's like we didn't realize that, that uh, we don't know how we function up until the point we got married to begin with, right? You know, so, but here's, I can't imagine having 700 wives. You talk about, I mean, you know, in my mind as a man, okay, I, I click out and I think, okay, well, if one's not happy, I would have some, another one that would be, right, out of 700. But then I'm thinking, wait a minute, I know how women kind of join together. And I don't think that would be good whatsoever. I mean, 700 wives, 300 concubines. Look at 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to stop writing that illustration and go to the Word, right? King Solomon. Now listen to this. There's a couple words in here that we want to omit from our spiritual journeys, okay? As we look at his black box. King Solomon, and here's the first word, however. I think anytime you see that word in the Bible, that's where you get in trouble. King Solomon, however... Loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. So we got that one word, however. Now we got another word coming in. Nevertheless. Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of his David his father had been. Now, we just talked about David last week, and we just talked about how David really messed up in his life too. But David somehow, you know, in Acts it says that David had this heart after God. That God saw this man 
that pursued him. So there was something different about David, even though he really messed up. He repented. He, he you know, was fully committed to God. But when we look at this, look at that, look at that verse, because if you were here a few weeks ago or a handful of weeks ago, and we talked about Joshua. Remember when I had the three chairs up here and we talked about the three different generations? We see this happening right here. The same concept, principle happening. Remember in the first chair we had Joshua who said we're committed to following God. That generation said we'll do anything God says that we'll do. That's what we're going to do. The second chair was the second generation, and they weren't as committed as Joshua. They compromised. And then you had the product of that generation, the third generation, who didn't know God whatsoever. We see this here. David sat in that first chair, even though he messed up. David sat in that first chair and pursued God with everything he had. He was very passionate about God. But then it says about Solomon, his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart his David was, as the heart his father David was. He started making compromises. That's what we're going to look at today, those compromises. Because what we see is, we see that he rejected what God said about life. It's very clear, the instructions, when God said, you know, back in Deuteronomy and had the law and the Shema where he said, this is how, this is how you're supposed to conduct yourselves. This is how, as, as a nation, as a nation under me, this is who you are and what you're supposed to do. He laid out these instructions. He gave the instruction manual to, to uh, the people. Solomon rejected the instructions of what God had said would bring purpose and meaning to life. Now, I think we're all prone to do this at times, right? <clears throat> and I kind of, I'm going to use the illustration that <clears throat> I think men, uh, not to throw all of us men under the bus, and you may, you may alienate me, but I think sometimes we can be a little bit more quick to throw out the instructions when you're putting something together and you say, I got this. You know what I mean? I got this. I can handle How many of us have ever went to Ikea or Solder or Lowe's or something, bought a grill or one of those big, massive pieces of furniture that's, you know, <clears throat> that would be about the height of this cross and about that width, you know? And, and, and we buy that piece of furniture or whatever it is for our house and it comes in a box about this size, Right? And the instruction manual, and you got, and somehow it's going to be that, and you're looking at it, and you're like, how in the world can something that simplistic be in a box this size? But it's got the instructions, and it's got like a million pieces that's going to go in there to hold it together, right? Now some of us, we can look at it, and we take the instruction manual, and we just kind of put it to the side. And we say, well, visually I can see that, I'll just tackle this, I'll just start in, Okay. Now, some of you guys out there, I get it, I know, you take the instruction manual out, you pour it over it for about seven days before you lift the screwdriver, right? You're going to heaven, no one's questioning you, okay? We want to be like you, all right? But for some of us, we're prone to kind of chuck the instruction manual until we get in trouble, and then it's like, okay, now let's look at the instruction manual, kind of like what Solomon did. And so, once we get that piece of furniture together, you have one of these situations where it leans like this or something, and... You move it one time and it disintegrates, right? We can all be like that. We can all be like that to some point. And probably the biggest error that Solomon made was in regards to love, sex, and marriage. God says, here are the directions. God gives us to you and I, His Word, the Bible, and He says, here are the directions. Don't bypass these. Don't skip steps. Take a look, read them, study them, follow them. But a lot of times we say, you know what? I got it, God. I can figure this out. I'll do it my way. We got it. And so sometimes we skip steps. And essentially what we're saying is, God, I know, I got this one. I know better than you. Okay, let me, just trust me, God. 
That's what Solomon did. And, and, and in fact, what, when we read those two words, however. God says, this is what I want, Solomon, however and nevertheless. Those two words really come back to haunt him. So as we look at his life, as we look at his black box, we see that he really violated marriage. Love, sex, and marriage. One of the first things is that he married women from other countries. Now, let's be very clear here. This isn't about race or ethnicity at all. It has nothing to do with that. What it has to do with is God formed a pure nation of Israel. They were to follow him. They were, a the- they were supposedly to be a theocratic nation, which means God was their king. God was their God. God instructed them, as it says in, our, in the Word, not to marry outside of that, because when you do, that woman is not going to, they're, she's going to have the gods of her father, and they're not going to be God, the true God. And so what happens is, um, Solomon um, does the exact opposite, however, nevertheless, and he marries other women from other nations. He gets caught up on that to fill that whole void of purpose and, and meaning within his life. He was searching, and so he he tries to fill that with that with, with other women. He brings in their gods. They get involved in child sacrifice. They, the nation eventually will get involved with, chi- with uh, child sacrifice and all these other things that these, these religions will bring with them. When God said, don't go off the reservation, don't go outside of these blueprints. And essentially, guys, if we could forward wind forward to our day, the 21st century where we are today, for instance, like when we talk about marriage, and that's what we're kind of focusing on here is marriage and love and sex and that kind of stuff. When we look at that, the Word of God says this, not to be unequally yoked. And it really kind of goes back to this, because what we're now we're doing is when we become unequally yoked as a Christ follower, and we go outside of those boundaries and we say, well, God, I'm not so sure you understand. I really love this person. I really love this individual. And we go outside of the instructions of what God has or the blueprints, what happens is we now come into a relationship where this person has a set of blueprints and this person has a set of blueprints and we're coming together and we have two separate sets of blueprints. As a pastor, I can't tell you how many times someone would come to me and say, would you marry us? And my question is, are you both Christians? Because according to the Word of God, I cannot marry a Christian to an unchristian. I could marry an unchristian to an unchristian. I can't marry a two. I can't marry an unchristian to a Christian. It's unequally yoked. And if we have that conversation, what we, what what I will hear at times is, "But I love this person, and I will pray them into heaven. I will witness to them. I will. They will become a Christian by us getting married." Now, there has been instances where that's happened. Some of you sitting here this morning, maybe your relationship started that way, and by the grace of God or something. That's happened. That's a very minor statistic. That is a very minor statistic because what happens usually is the one that's not a Christ follower will drag away the other one that is a Christ follower. That's why the Word of God says, do not be unequally yoked. And when we start going outside of those parameters, like Solomon did, we start bringing, this, we start bringing destruction within our lives. That's why when we sit down with premarital counseling and things like that, we talk through those things. We talk about how we both view or how each one views certain things. And instead of coming in with two separate sets of blueprints, we're coming in together with one set of blueprints. 
Solomon's first mistake was he began to marry women from other countries. They began to influence him with false gods. He was being unequally yoked. The second thing is this. He took polygamy to a whole new level. I mean, he literally took polygamy to a whole new level. And in fact, you know, as we look at the Old Testament, one could say, well, you know what? Doesn't the Old Testament suggest that it's okay for, for the men to have multiple wives? You know what, guys? It never did, really. It never did. In Genesis 2.24, it really paints the picture of what marriage is. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. Wife. And they become one flesh. Here's what happens, though, guys, with all of this stuff. And one of the reasons why I want us to kind of take a look at love, sex, and marriage today through Solomon's life, through Solomon's black box, is because for our church today, living in the culture we live in, these are, the one, these are three of the things that are like the hot topics of the church. We have just witnessed um, politicians and, and things like that, you know, individuals like that coming out, defining what marriage is, defining same-sex marriage and all these other things. The question is, what does the Word of God have to say about these things? Are we, are we going off the reservation? Are we going outside of God's instructions when we start entertaining things that, 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 that are not what, you know, what He states within his, within his Word? Because when we do that, that's when we really start creating these huge dilemmas within our lives because it's not the way God has prescribed it. And that doesn't mean that we're being judgmental. It's saying that we believe that the Bible has defined what marriage is, has defined and answered some of these questions that we get asked, that I get asked pretty regularly. And, and, uh, and so as we look at this, we want to look at Solomon's life to determine some of these things. When we look at this too, it appears as if the Old Testament suggests that it was okay for, for men to have multiple wives. When you go back and look at all these men that have multiple wives, even some of the good men, there, was, there were always things within their lives where you could see that that caused major destruction. Take Abraham and Sarah, for instance. Abraham and Sarah. God said, Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. Abraham couldn't grasp it. He couldn't understand it. Sarah couldn't understand it because she, she, was, she was, you know, barren. So they were old. They couldn't have kids. So in their minds, what should they do? Well, here, you take my maidservant, Hagar, and why don't you be with her and let her produce the seed that's going to carry on your name? Was that what God wanted? Was that, the, was that the way God had laid that out? Absolutely not. And so, right from there, we see this major conflict taking place. Jacob and Rachel. How about Hannah? We talked about Hannah and, and Samuel not too long ago. The same situation where there was always this inner conflict going on. It's because God said, clear back in Genesis, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Clear back in Genesis, God said that that is why mainly his father and mother is united to his wife. Today, we live in that culture where, where we have outside influences telling and defining to us what the marriage relationship is, where we have to go and say, as Christians, as Christ followers, we use the Word of God for our standard and, and our direction and instruction. So here, here's the thing, though. After Solomon lives his life, he searches, he gets caught up in all these things uh, with love, sex, and marriage. He, and, and let's be honest, guys. The reason why he did these things is because it felt good, right? 
He was looking to fill that void. He was looking to find purpose. He was looking to find meaning. And so as he searched and searched and searched and searched, he, he constantly would find these things and say, if I could just have one more woman, if I could just have one more marriage, if I could just have one more wife, I know that that's what will complete me. I know that's, that's what's going to fill this void because it feels good. And that's why we do a lot of these things is because it feels good. Even when the Word of God says, this isn't the way we're supposed to do things, this isn't the way we're supposed to live our lives, a lot of times you and I will do the same exact thing and we say, but it feels good, it feels right. Whereas God's saying, but it's not right. I've defined marriage, I've defined what the sanctity of a family is. But, a lot, but at times we can go off script. Here's the, here's the uh, encouraging point with Solomon. After Solomon lives a great extent of his life, there seems to be this paradigm shift that he has. He has this epiphany, a revelation. He has this come-to-Jesus moment where he comes around and he realizes that the path he's been on his whole life is the wrong path. And in Proverbs 14, 12, he says this, everything is meaningless. Everything that I've been doing is meaningless. All this search, all this uh, trying to fill my life with possessions and, and, and pleasure and and women, and and all these other things, it's meaningless. And he makes this statement, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. He looked at these things, he looks back over his life, and he says, you know what, I thought this was going to produce life. I thought this was going to provide meaning. I thought this is the right way to go, but in the end, it's only leading to death. Now, as we talk about this, we're really talking about some controversial issues for you and I living in our culture today. And I think it's very fitting for us today in a loving way, in a non-judgmental way, to really communicate the stands of Element Church. I've been called, I've been emailed, I've been in discussion uh, many times about what my view is about same-sex marriage, about what my view is on cohabitation, about what my view is on sex outside of marriage. What is, the, what is your view, Pastor? What is the church's view? What is the leadership's view? And so today, I think it's very fitting as we look at Solomon's black box, we stand and we say, this is what Element believes, this is what Element has always believed, and this is the way Element will believe. And part of that comes a responsibility in communicating it, because in Ezekiel 33, verse 6, it seems to indicate what happens to someone who knows the truth or sees the truth and doesn't communicate it. In Ezekiel 33, verse 6, the, it says, But if the watchman sees the enemy coming and doesn't sound the alarm to warn the people, he is responsible for their captivity. It goes on to say, They will die in their sins, but I will hold the watchman responsible for their deaths. That's a very serious statement for church leadership, for a pastor. That's a very serious statement, a very serious verse, I think, that applies to us as we try to lead and we try to lead through these difficult times. Because I believe what it's saying is if we know what the Word of God teaches and we don't communicate it and we don't do it in a way, and, and I believe that we do that in a way that's very loving, but if we don't communicate it and people die in their sins, we're held responsible for that. We have some level of responsibility for them going astray. Part of that problem is it could be induced by fear of rejection. You know, we have to risk rejection. We have to risk popularity. We have to risk offending people because we're afraid that if we speak the truth or if we come out and make a statement about same-sex marriage or, or um, 
cohabitation or sex uh, outside of marriage and those types of things that we might offend somebody. Can I ask you a question though? Has there ever been a time where you opened up the Word of God and it offended you? The Word of God does offend. When you read the Word of God, it slices you. I've been offended many times in my spiritual walk by the Word of God because when I would open up the Word of God and I begin to read the Word of God and the Word of God would become very, become very clear and this piercing sword, this piercing knife would come in and just slice me because the way I was living called for correction, it offended me. I didn't like it. I don't like opening the Word of God and, and God speaking to me and saying, hey, what are you doing? You're off track. It's, it, it can be offending. I get that. So, so my point is, this morning as we talk about these things, we have to do this uh, in a way that, again, is non-judgmental and very loving. But as we look at our culture today, and we look at, at, at Solomon's black box, I see, you know, in our world today, we see an attack on family values. And it's a very much a hot topic in our world today. And again, as I said, the Word cuts us. But don't you want someone to tell you? Don't you want someone to stand and say, this is what we believe the Word of God says about same-sex marriage. This is what we believe the Word of God says about cohabitation. This is what we believe that the Word of God says about having sex outside of marriage. These are very important things. It about derailed Solomon's life. He had that moment, that Jesus moment, where he came back. But for some of us, we could be derailed our whole lives. Because no one stood and said, this is what we believe. And I believe that the things that we wrestle with in our, in, in our world today, some of the things that politicians are answering for us, we need to be answering for us through the Word of God. The Word of God teaches us very clearly about these things. So, I'm not trying to sound hypocritical. I'm not trying to sound judgmental in any way. Because I believe that Jesus was all about grace and value. I, it, for me, we, we become so, we can take sins and we, become, we can make such polar opposites things where we say, well, this one holds so much weight over this one. I think Jesus sees, I think God sees sin as sin. And so when I say that, I, th- I think Jesus was very, very full of grace and value when he reached out to people who were, who were in sin, but he called them into truth and he shared the light with them. He wasn't accepting of it, but he always showed grace and value to them, loving them. In fact, he was more indignant to the people who, were, who called themselves righteous, the ones that were pointing fingers. And, and I want to say this, that's not the type of church that, that we are here at Element. But we want to hold true to the Word of God. And we want to help others. We want to help each other navigate to come along beside to encourage, but speak the truth in love to say, this is what we believe the Word of God teaches. Ecclesiastes 12.13 says this. Again, Solomon had this, this epiphany where he says, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. I, think, I mean, Solomon, I think, had that moment where he said, all this stuff I've been searching for, all this where I have been violating the marriage unit, where I've been violating the family unit, where I've been violating all these things, trying to fill this void, it's all meaningless. Read Ecclesiastes. It's all meaningless. And here is the conclusion. Fear God. Keep His commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. And guys, 
I think every single one of us sitting in this room today can find ourselves in times where we go our own way because it feels good. We get off the path. We get off course. We lose sight because it feels good. It feels good to get caught up in something that may not be the direction of where God wants us to do it. If it didn't feel good, we wouldn't do it anyhow, right? And so all of us sitting in this room, I I believe, can relate with this. Where it feels good, we're drawn towards gossiping because it feels good. We're drawn towards lying because it feels good. We're drawn towards stealing because it feels good. Or we're drawn toward murdering with our words. Now some of us will sit in here and we'll say, but wait a minute, that's not as bad as this over here. It's not as bad as what this individual's doing over here. Guys, God sees it all the same. We, one person could be practicing something over here that is absolutely simple, but then we're over here murdering someone with our words. You're telling me that it's, God doesn't approve of any of it. But it feels good, right? Lusting. Not leading our families the way we should. Coveting. Again, sex outside of the marriage. Same sex. Wanting more. (coughs) Wanting more. Because we don't believe that what God has blessed us with is enough. Just like Solomon. You've given me a wife, but that's not good enough, God. You've, You've given me things, but that's not good enough. I want more. I want more. I want more. And for some of us, we're in that constant struggle. I want more. I want more. I want more. All because it feels good. I was driving down here today and I was replaying this message in my mind and thinking, this is going to be a tough one because, you know, it just is. And as we look at it, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking and I kind of got to this and I'm like, I look at my life and and it was like God was saying, you got a couple things here too. And I started thinking about it. And I started thinking, I'm like, I do not want to be 80 years old. If God lets me live to be 80, I don't want to reach 80 years old and look back and see that I've been struggling with the same thing since I was 27. That's not what I want in my life. Where God's saying, you're going off the reservation. You're not following the instructions. You're trying to figure it out yourself, and it's not working. You're trying to fill a void of some sort. You're trying to to bring something within your life that only I can fulfill. And you've been doing it since you've been... I don't want to stand when I'm at whatever age it is and look back and say, I've been dealing with this thing since I've been in my mid-20s, or whatever it is. Pick an age. I don't want to be there. I don't want my spiritual journey to be that way. Do you guys? You certainly don't want that, do you? And it comes down to one thing. It comes down to repentance. Just like Solomon. This is meaningless. I've been, I've been living with this my whole life. It's meaningless. It's not producing what I think it's going to produce. And at some point, Solomon, I think, repented at the end of his life. And he writes Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. Sharing all that with us. Sharing his black box with us. 
And it reminds me of that verse in 1 John where it says that when we repent, that when we confess our sins to God, that He is faithful and that He's just and that He will forgive us of all of our sins. To repent literally means that you're going in one direction and you're turning and you're going in the complete opposite. And as I, as I look at Solomon's life and I look at his black box and I look at how he struggled with, with the marriage unit, with the family unit and that type of stuff and, and other things, I don't want my life to be that way. I want to repent now. I don't want to live my life like that. And this morning, God's message of love and grace comes through so strong to you and I, just like we talked about last week, where he says, come back, repent, confess. Confess where you've gotten derailed. Confess where you've tried to skip some steps. Confess where you've taken the black box, the instruction manual, and chucked it to the side. Confess. And I am faithful and just, and I will forgive you. That's what God wants for our lives. God wants us to have that purpose and meaning within our lives, and that only comes from living within the standards in which He has defined. And so I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know where you're at on your spiritual journey. I don't know if, if, if the Spirit of God is pressing in on you heavily to say, you need to repent. It's time to repent. It's time to quit laying the instruction manual to the side and do it the way that I've, set, that I've prescribed. Because that's what's going to give you what you're searching for. Maybe you're in here this morning and today's the day. Maybe you're in here, and again, it's one of those things where I wish it was, I wish it was one of those things where we just do it once and we stand underneath some huge faucet and all this spiritual maturity is dumped on us and we never ever derail ever again. I would absolutely love it if that's the way it was. But I believe that we're not going to be, we're, that it's not going to be that way until we see Jesus face to face and we receive a new body that's not prone to sin any longer. Maybe you're in here this morning and, and, and God's gently nudging on you. The Holy Spirit's coming in. He's slicing. He's saying, it's time. You know, we'd love to pray with you. You don't have to do it up front, but if you would like to, I'd love to, you know, the elders, myself, would love to pray with you. But I pray that you would just respond the way God's asking you to respond. His, he wants to encounter you in a way that is very, it's, it's, it's specific for this time and moment. Don't let it go. Respond to Him. Whatever that means, respond to Him. We're going to close with a couple more songs, but if you would like to pray and come forward, I'd love to pray with you. The elders would love to pray with you. But just, just respond the way God wants you to respond. Would you do that? I'm going to close this time with a word of prayer, and then we're going to sing a couple songs. Father, I thank You again for Your Word. I thank You for giving us the instruction manual. I know that's a crude way of saying it, God, but a crude way of saying it, but God, you have given us your word. You have given us a black box of, of, of men and women who've walked this way before, who've gotten off path, who've stayed on path, who've stayed on track. God, we just see that as humans, we just constantly get off track at times. But, but you love us. And you gently bring us back and you put all this love on us. 
I pray, God, this morning as your Holy Spirit works, does his ministry, that people will respond to you regardless of where they find themselves, regardless of, of where they may have went outside of the boundaries in which you've, you've laid out. God, that they will find you and that they will find that love and that intimacy that they've been searching for. God, minister to us. Help us to respond the way you want us to respond. And we commit this time to you in the the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.